0: chapter 19 of the death shot this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the death shot by thomas main reed chapter 19 the bell of Natchez while search is still being made for the body of the murdered man and he suspected of the crime is threatened with a prison cell she the innocent cause of it is being borne far away from the scene of its committal the steamboat carrying colonel armstrong and his belongings having left port punctually at the hour advertised has forsaken the father of waters entered the red river of louisiana and now, on the second day after, is cleaving the current of this ochre-tinted stream some fifty miles from its mouth. The boat is the Belle of Natchez, singular coincidence of name, since one aboard bears also the distinctive sobriquet. Oft have the young bloods of the city of the bluffs, while quaffing their cherry cobblers or champagne, toasted Helen Armstrong with this appellation added taking quality into account she has a better right to it than the boat for this notwithstanding the proud title bestowed upon it is but a sorry craft a little stern wheel steamer such as in those early days were oft seen ploughing the bosom of the mighty mississippi more often threading the intricate and shallower channels of its tributaries a single set of paddles placed where the rudder acts in other vessels and looking very much like an old-fashioned mill-wheel supplies the impulsive power at best giving but poor speed nevertheless a sort of craft with correct excuse and a fair raison d'etre as all know who navigate narrow rivers and their still narrower reaches with trees from each side outstretching as is the case with many of the streams of louisiana not that the noble red river can be thus classified nor in any sense spoken of as a narrow stream broad and deep enough for the biggest boats to navigate to natchitoches the butt of colonel armstrong's journey by water why the broken planter has taken passage on the little stern wheeler is due to two distinct causes it suited him as to time and also expense on the mississippi and its tributaries a passage in crack boats is costly in proportion to their character for crackness the bill of natchez being without reputation of this kind carries her passengers at a reasonable rate but indeed something beyond ideas of opportune time or economy influenced colonel armstrong in selecting her the same thought which hurried him away from his old home under the shadows of night has taken him aboard a third-rate river steamboat travelling thus obscurely he hopes to shun encounter with men of his own class to escape not only observation but the sympathy he shrinks from in this hope he is disappointed and on both horns of his fancied, not to say ridiculous dilemma for it so chances that the bully boat which was to leave natchez for natchitoches on the same day with the bell has burst one of her boilers as a consequence the smaller steamer has started on her trip loaded down to the water-line with freight her staterooms and cabins crowded with passengers many of these the best bluest blood of mississippi and louisiana whatever chagrin this contratance has caused colonel armstrong and it may be the older of his daughters to the younger it gives gladness for among the supernumeraries forced to take passage in this stern wheel steamer is a man she has met before not only met but danced with and not only danced but been delighted with so much that souvenirs of that night, with its saltative enjoyment, have since oft occupied her thoughts, thrilling her with the sweetest reminiscence. He who has produced this pleasant impression is a young planter by name Louis Dupree, a Louisianan by birth, therefore a Creole, and without any taint of the African, else he would not be a Creole, pure son the english reader seems to need undeceiving about this constantly repeatedly in the creole simply so called there is no admixture of negro blood not a drop of it in the veins of louis dupree else Jessie armstrong could not have danced with him at a natchez ball nor would her father fallen as he is permit her to keep company with him on a red river steamboat in this case, there is no condescension on the part of the ex-Mississippian planter. He of Louisiana is his equal in social rank, and now his superior in point of wealth, by hundreds, thousands, for Louis Dupree is one of the largest landowners along the line of Red River plantations, while his slaves number several hundred field hands and house domestics. The able-bodied of both without enumerating the aged, the imbecile, and Picaninnies more costly than profitable. If, in the presence of such a prosperous man, Colonel Armstrong reflects painfully upon his own reduced state, it is different with his daughter, Jessie. Into her ear, Louis Dupree has whispered sweet words, a speech telling her that not only are his lands, houses, and slaves at her disposal, but along with them, his heart and hand. It is but repeating what he said on the night of the Natchez ball, his impulsive Creole nature having then influenced him to speak as he felt. And now, on this gliding steamboat, he reiterates the proposal, more earnestly pressing for an answer. And he gets it in the affirmative. Before the Bell of Natchez has reached fifty miles from the Red River's mouth louis dupree and jesse armstrong have mutually confessed affection clasped hands let lips meet and tongues swear nevermore to live asunder that journey commenced upon the mississippi is to continue throughout life in their case there is no fear of aught arising to hinder the consummation of their hopes no stern parent to stand in the way of their life's happiness by the death of both father and mother, Louis Dupree has long since been emancipated from parental authority and is as much his own master as he is of his many slaves. On the other side, Jessie Armstrong is left free to her choice, because she has chosen well. Her father has given ready consent, or at all events said enough to ensure his doing so the huge high-pressure steam craft which ply upon the western rivers of america bear but a very slight resemblance to the black long low-hulled leviathans that plough the briny waste of ocean the steamboat of the mississippi more resembles a house two stories in height and not infrequently something of a third abode of mates and pilots Rounded off at stern, the structure of oblong oval shape is universally painted chalk-white, the second, or cabin story, having on each face a row of casement windows with Venetian shutters of emerald green. These also serve as outside doors to the staterooms, each having its own. Inside ones opposite them give admission to the main cabin, or saloon, which extends longitudinally nearly the whole length of the vessel. Figured glass folding doors cut into three compartments the ladies' cabin aft, the dining saloon amidships, and with a third division forward, containing clerk's office and bar, the last devoted to male passengers for smoking, drinking, and too often gambling a gangway some three feet in width runs along the outside facade forming a balcony to the windows of the staterooms it is furnished with a balustrade called guardrail to prevent careless passengers from stepping overboard a projection of the roof eclipsed hurricane deck serves as an awning to this continuous terrace shading it from the sun two immense twin chimneys funnels as called tower above all pouring forth a continuous volume of whitish wood smoke while a smaller cylinder the scape pipe intermittently vomits of vapor yet whiter the steam At each emission with a hoarse belching bark that can be heard reverberating for leagues along the river seen from the bank as it passes the Mississippi steamboat looks like a large hotel or mansion of many windows, set adrift and moving majestically, walking the water like a thing of life, as it has been poetically described. Some of the larger ones, taking into account their splendid interior decoration, and along with it their sumptuous table fare, may well merit the name oft bestowed upon them of Floating Palaces only in point of size some inferiority in splendor and having a stern wheel instead of side-paddles does the belle of natchez differ from other boats seen upon the same waters as them she has her large central saloon with ladies cabin astern the flanking rows of state-rooms the casements with green jalousies the gangway and guard-rail the twin funnels pouring forth their fleecy cloud, and the scape pipe coughing in regular repetition. In the evening hour after the day has cooled down, the balcony outside the stateroom windows is a pleasant place to stand, saunter, or sit in, more especially that portion of it contiguous to the stern, and exclusively devoted to lady passengers, with only such of the male sex admitted as can claim relationship or leans of a like intimate order on this evening the first after leaving port the poop deck of the little steamer is so occupied by several individuals who stand gazing at the scene that passes like a panorama before their eyes the hot southern sun has disappeared behind the dark belt of cypress forest which forms far and near the horizon line of louisiana while the soft evening breeze, laden with the mixed perfumes of the liquid amber and magnolia grandiflora, is wafted around them like incense scattered from a censer. Notwithstanding its delights and loveliness, nature does not long detain the saunterers outside. Within is a spell more powerful and to many of them more attractive. It is after dinner hour. The cabin tables have been cleared and its lamps lit under the sheen of brilliant chandeliers the passengers are drawing together in groups and coteries some to converse others to play icarta or din un. here and there a solitary individual burying himself in a book or a pair almost as unsocial engaging in the selfish dualities of chess three alone linger outside and of these only two appear to do so with enjoyment they are some paces apart from the third who is now left to herself for it is a woman not that they are unacquainted with her or in any way wishing to be churlish but simply because neither can spare word or thought for any one save their two sweet selves it scarce needs telling who is the couple thus mutually engrossed an easy guess gives Jessie armstrong and louis dupree the young Creole's handsome features, black eyes, brunette complexion, and dark curly hair have made havoc with the heart of Armstrong's youngest daughter. While, en revanche, her contrasting colors of red, blue, and gold have held their own in the amorous encounter, they are in love with one another to their fingertips. As they stand conversing in soft whispers, the eyes of the third individual are turned towards them this only at intervals and with naught of jealousy in the glance for it is jessie's own sister who gives it whatever of that burn in helen's breast not these nor by them has its torch been kindled the love that late occupied her heart has been plucked therefrom leaving it lacerated and lorn it was the one love of her life and now crushed out can never be rekindled if she have a thought about her sister's new-sprung happiness it is only to measure it against her own misery to contrast its light of joy with the shadow surrounding herself but for a short moment and with transient glance does she regard them aside from any sentiment of envy their happy communion calls up a reminiscence too painful to be dwelt upon she remembers how she herself stood talking in that same way with one she cannot must not know more to escape recalling the painful souvenir she turns her eyes from the love episode and lowers them to look upon the river End of chapter nineteen